Well, I am uh, very happy uh, to be here in Bloomington again, especially at this time of year. This is my favorite time of year uh, here in Bloomington. And I'm uh, surrounded by many memories uh, of long ago, since that, that's uh, how Bob phrased it. Uh, I look up here and I see pictures of Bob and Marilyn Vidano, and usually I'm sitting behind them in our church service in Colorado Springs. I see them often, and they have had me come and work with some of the people that they're working with who are uh, really working uh, very actively in their outreach uh, to those with Islamic backgrounds. And I see Ron and Doris Weeks. Uh, Ron was here, you know, as a student when I was, and uh, when I was leading the Navigator Ministry, and so uh, I see Ron and Doris, and I'm in touch with them, and I think what they're doing is just fantastic. Another student who was here back in the 70s was Ken Larson, you know, and uh, you know, not only did he get involved with the Navigators, he's now leading the whole campus ministry for the U.S. You know, for uh, the Navigators. So I have lots of uh, great memories here. I've been uh, associated with the Navigators for over 55 years, you know, and uh, with the church, United Presbyterian, Dave Ferris, ECC, for the last 45 years. And so uh, I uh, have been around quite a while. I've been to a number of missions conferences that you've held here. I've worked in Europe, Middle East, Africa, Asia, and you have partnered with me in those uh, various places internationally. But, as Bob mentioned, for the last 18 years, I've been working in overseas and U.S. prisons uh, and in the rural areas of the world who focus on learning the Bible through the stories of the Bible. And so, whether it's in a rural village in Africa or Asia, or whether it's in a prison we have found that people are able to learn the truths of God's Word most effectively through learning the stories of the Bible. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. You may know that the Navigators have campus ministry and have church ministry and have ministry in the urban areas and have international missionaries. What you may not know is that there's a segment of the Navigators ministry here in the U.S., that we call I-58. It's based on the passage of Isaiah 58. And it's a ministry, a holistic, whole-life ministry to the under-resourced people in the communities of our country. People like uh, the homeless, the immigrants, uh, offenders, ex-offenders, at-risk youth. Uh, There's a good possibility that you didn't know that uh, we have a whole ministry focused on the under-resourced people in our country. Our focus is to renew hope, restore justice, and rebuild communities among those people. That lends itself very nicely to the emphasis that you've had here uh, on missions for your last three weeks. Ministry to the stranger, the foreigner, the alien, the immigrant, international workers, international students, you know, but people that may be a stranger to us. Ministry to the poor, the materially needy, the less 
educated, the often exploited people. And so you focus on that. And today we want to talk about ministry to the imprisoned. And in one sense of the word, we could start by saying ministry to the imprisoned includes all of us. Whoever is a slave to sin is held captive by sin. And the Bible often uses the idea of freedom and being set free. We even sang about it. Uh, the song that we opened with, I Will Sing of My Redeemer. Did you notice the word pardon in there and talking about making us free? We often use that analogy or that metaphor of being imprisoned. And Jesus himself said, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed in John chapter 8. So freedom for the prisoner. I'd like to open with a couple of passages of Scripture. Psalm 146 was a great responsive reading because it includes all the people that we have been trying to focus on for the last three weeks. But another passage that is shorter is found in Hebrews 13. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated. And the poor are often the most mistreated and exploited as if you yourselves were suffering. I like that passage. It's uh, probably... Uh, one of uh, the favorite passages of people who work uh, inside prisons, you know, because it encourages us to remember those who are in prison. But do you remember when Jesus uh, in, uh, picked up the scroll and opened it when he was in the synagogue and, you know, he unrolled it and he found the place in Isaiah where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And everyone started focusing their attention on him. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The concern of Jesus in carrying out what Isaiah wrote about and the fact that he read this passage and said, it is fulfilled, I think shows at least a partial emphasis on what he thinks about people in prison. You know the passage. It's often quoted. I think uh, Bob started it when he uh, gave his message on ministry to the stranger. You know, the famous passage where Jesus says, I was in prison and you visited me, and he talks about People say, well, when, when was that? Well, inasmuch as you did it to the least, you did it to me, Jesus says. And so, ministry to those who are in prison. Now, as I mentioned, that could include all of us, 
but our focus today is not on the fact that all of us have been held captive by sin, have been pardoned and set free through what Jesus has done for us. Our focus today wants to be on those who are convicted of crimes, who are in prison now, you know, and uh, a little bit more of who uh, I go uh, to visit. So it's not those on the outside that we're going to talk about today. It's those who are on the inside. All people imprisoned can be set free, but some are actually literally in prison, not just figuratively, and they're the ones that we want to talk about today. Over 2 million people in the U.S., 2.2 million, are incarcerated, and the U.S. has a per capita amount greater than any other country in the world of those who are in prison. And there are reasons for that. I mean, it's political politically correct to be tough on crime. And many states have very harsh sentencing laws. And then there's the subject of mass incarceration where uh, there are ways that certain ethnic groups get targeted more than others and there is an inordinate number of those people in prison in large numbers and that's a major problem. I discovered that the justice system is sometimes the injustice system. I find that there are people in prison who wouldn't be there if their skin was a different color, if they had any money, if they had some connections, because the people who do, they're not in prison. But not everyone can meet those requirements. And so they get convicted and sentenced. There are some who are on the outside who should be in prison. There are some in prison who should not be there. So it isn't always a just justice system. There are issues of prison reform, educational needs. Many people with mental illness are housed in prisons because of cutbacks in programs that meet the needs of mentally ill. There are issues of moral rehabilitation not just rehabilitation in terms of their crime and their criminal activities, but morally. And so there are a lot of issues that we could actually look at, and obviously we don't have time this morning to go in to all of those. But I just want to point them out that uh, there are people and organizations and ministries that are focused on some of these very specific prison ministry issues. I got started in prison ministry uh, in the late 90s when Prison Fellowship was going to have a project and they needed some Bible study material, and I went to a meeting to learn about what they were going to do by going into every state and federal prison and discovered that all of the materials that we had were really inappropriate. And these were materials from Campus Crusade, Crew, Navigators, Walk Through the Bible, American Bible Society, there were about 12 or 13 organizations. We all brought our materials and realized they weren't appropriate. They were written for middle to upper middle class, you know, uh, suburban, white, uh, educated, um, evangelical populations, and they needed some materials for this project that they wanted to do. They said, has anyone written any Bible study materials? Well, I had written a series called Design for Discipleship for the Navigators years ago, and I raised my hand, and I look around, and it's just like here. No one else is raising their hand. And, 
anyone written any training materials? We're going to have to train some volunteers. And, well, I had been, my job at that time was training missionary, all of the navigator missionaries going overseas. I raised my, and I'm thinking, uh-oh. Uh, and they said, we need you. And so I had no particular interest in prison ministry. I had the typical stereotypes of people in prison, you know, and I thought, why would I want to do this? But I was interested in helping get the Word of God into the lives of people, you know, and people into the Word of God. And so I said, yeah, I'll do that. That was my introduction, and I field-tested the material. And when I got into the prisons, I found that I really enjoyed working with these men and women, that they were just normal people. Yes, you do have the sociopaths, you have the hardened criminals, but many, many people committed crimes when they were high on drugs or alcohol, and uh, they're in because of the sentencing laws and for other reasons, and they end up, when they're clean and straight and sober, uh, just like they're like any of you. They're like my neighbor. Uh, and so I realized these are just real people, regular people, normal people. You know, and so a lot of my stereotypes went away. The way I got interested in using stories in prison is a little bit different because I knew a man on death row at Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola, and I had been going there a number of times, uh, and this was in the early 2000s. And so I knew that this guy was a believer, and he was on death row, and that I had met him before. And the reason I could remember this is his name was Lucky. What's wrong with that picture? I thought maybe his name should be Unlucky. Uh, but anyway, I went in to see him one day, and I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, not so well. I said, well, what, what's up? He said, uh, I've been praying about this family situation, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything. And I thought of a Bible story. And I said to him, do you feel like you're on the boat? And he said, on, on the boat, what do you mean? I said, do you remember when Jesus and his friends got into a boat and they started across the lake and a big storm came? He said, yeah, I, I remember that story. Uh, I said, uh, do you remember what Jesus was doing? He said, I think he was sleeping. I said, that's right, he was sleeping. And so they woke him up and said something to him. Do you remember what, what they said? He said, no. I said, they went to him and said, Master, don't you care that we're going to die? I said, is that how you feel, like God doesn't care? And he said, yeah, that's exactly how I'm feeling. I said, we need to do something. And we held hands through the cell. And I said, Jesus, wake up. Listen to what Lucky wants to pray to you. Well, I not only woke some of you up, but I woke up uh, people in the cells next to Lucky's. Uh, and I wasn't trying to be disrespectful, but I could see that Lucky was putting himself into the story. He was seeing himself in there. And so Lucky prayed, and when he was done praying, he looked at me and he said, I think God sent you here today. I said, well, why do you say that? He said, I know God cares. I know he's got the power to do something about it, just like Jesus could calm the wind and the waves. He said, my focus has been on the wind and the waves, the circumstances in this situation. I haven't been focused on God and who he is and what he can do. I needed to be reminded of that story. 
time to leave. I said, I, I've got to go, but uh, I'll check in with you when I come back the next time. And I came back the next time, and when I saw him, God had answered his prayer. He doesn't always work on our timetable, as you know, but at least in this case, he did. And so that was an important lesson that Lucky learned, but it was an even greater lesson that I learned of how to connect the stories of the Bible with where people are in their spiritual journeys. And I thought, I've got to learn more about this. Well, I discovered that about 80% of incarcerated men and women can't read, don't read, or won't read. Reading is not the way they best learn and process information. And so I thought this story approach may be really an important approach to use. But all of these organizations that I was associated with all used a text-based academic classroom approach for helping people in prison to learn. And 80% of them don't learn best that way. And so that's what set me on a course to learn more, read more, research more, take classes, and discover more of what was happening in the world of missions with regard to learning the Bible through the stories of the Bible. And I've been here in the past various times, various missions conferences. Uh, some of you may have sat in some of the cl classes that I talked about Bible story. I'm still doing it because it's an extremely effective way to connect with people and help them learn. A Bible story has a beginning and an end. There's action in the middle. It's easier to remember, even than an isolated verse. I can tell the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, which is roughly 10 chapters in Genesis, and then I can say there's a verse in the New Testament in Romans 8.28 that says God can work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. A week later, they can't remember the New Testament verse that I gave them, but they can tell me the 10-chapter story of Joseph in Genesis because they can remember the story. And so that's one of the reasons. But then I use stories. But then I discovered, you know what? It's not just 80% of the incarcerated who have concerns about learning through what is spoken and what is heard and what is seen. 80% of our society, that's their preferred learning style and their learning preference. It's not a literacy issue. It's not a prison issue. It's not an education issue. It's a learning preference or learning style issue. And so the way we go about conducting these classes and training men and women in prison to actually become instructors so that they can pass these stories on to their kids and their grandkids and their friends and their neighbors and whoever, you know, uh, this is for everybody. I have three sons. They're all engineers. We have a weekly conference call, and we go through different books of the Bible. Or We went through all the stories of the Bible. At that time, there was 108. We did it two a week. You know. By the time we were done getting through the 108, now there was 260. A guy named John Walsh had put these together. It's not the America's Most Wanted John Walsh. It's, it's a different John Walsh, okay? And so I said, well, you want to start back in? Yeah, yeah. So now we took five stories a week, and we would pick the one we liked the best and talk about what we learned from it 
and what we got out of it and any application and why we picked it, why we liked it the best. Sometimes we would pick the same story, but usually we all uh, pick different, different stories. And I would ask him, is this boring? Is this getting old? No, no, no. We like this. We like this. We want to do it. And uh, they were engineers. They actually could read. You know, they, they were educated. They had uh, graduated from University of Colorado and Colorado State, and, and uh, they liked the stories. And I was really grateful because when they were young, I didn't think something like that was really, you know, I didn't do Bible stories. That wasn't real Bible study. However, what I've learned is people remember these stories and they've got more of the Bible inside them you know, than the people that sit down and do these analytical studies and you know, the kind of studies that I used to think only that is real Bible study. When the Spirit of God has access to the Word of God in people's lives, you see unbelievable changes and that's probably nowhere more evident than in the lives of men and women who are incarcerated. Uh, just yesterday, uh, I saw uh, we had a graduation at a women's prison, and uh, a girl uh, lady stood up and read a five-page letter from her daughter who she had influenced because she had been in this class and her daughter had come to Christ. And so to share with the rest of the group, she read the letter. People today are learning through... Sound bites, radio, television, movies, music, Starbucks conversations with their friends, you know, social media. They're not necessarily sitting down and analyzing the scriptures like we used to do a while back. There are different cultures, and the culture that we're in today is the technology culture. There's so much information. We go for the bits and pieces that we need. And so... Even though people are educated, can read, are highly literate, they still are what we call secondary oral learners. They learn and process information as if they were a primary oral learner. So this approach is for everybody, okay? It's a ministry strategy that's biblical, it's simple, it's inexpensive, it's relational, it's generational, it's easily owned. It's reproducible. But where do we go from here? You have been exposed for these last three weeks to opportunities to minister to the stranger, to the poor, to the imprisoned. These are some of the neediest people that we could ever have to focus on. And what do you do with all of those needs? I lived in Indonesia, and hundreds of people every day would be begging and asking Needs were everywhere. I, I call it kind of a, a needs overdose. Uh, it's just overwhelming. And you may have been thinking that these last three weeks. You know, these needs to focus and work with people in these areas, uh, it's overwhelming. I used to encourage the missionaries that I was training who would be going overseas, find the need that has your name on it. Try to narrow it down. Do what you can. But look for the ones. Pray about. Seek the ones that have, has your name on it. 
You can't do everything. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? He was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he spent all day teaching them and healing them of all different kinds of diseases. And uh, his friends, the disciples, uh, they were really excited about it too, weren't they? You know what they said? Send them away. Send them away. Now, down deep, we may not want to admit it, but sometimes when we're overwhelmed by all of these needs, that's our attitude, isn't it? We'd like to send some of these needs away. You know what Jesus said to them? You give them something to eat. What? <laughs> Did you see how many people are here? You know, it would take eight months' wages for them to have a, a nibble. Jesus wasn't impressed with their answer. He said, have them sit down, find out what you have. There's a little kid who has five loaves and two fish. They brought those limited resources to Jesus, and he blessed them and multiplied those limited resources and gave them to the disciples to go and to hand out, and they did that. And when they were empty, they had to come back to Jesus to get more so that they could go and give and give and give until they were empty. When they were empty, they had to go back to Jesus and get more, and they went and distributed until they were empty. Sometimes we're on empty, and that's why we say, send them away. We need to go back to Jesus and find the kind of compassion and heart that he had for the stranger and for the poor and for the imprisoned. but we also need to bring those limited resources to him and ask him to multiply those resources. We can't do it. In our strength, we get tired out, we get empty-handed, you know, and we can't give, 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 you know, without drying up inside ourselves. So it's a matter of going back to Jesus and being refreshed and let him give us something to give to others, but also... It's a matter of letting him multiply those limited resources. The limited resources of your money. The limited resources of your time. The limited resources of what contribution, what gift, what talent you have. The limited resources of uh, supplying and supporting ministries and tools. And, and the area that has your name on it. It might be something that you could do, you could be involved, you could give, you could support you know, an organization or a type of ministry or something that the church is doing. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can get involved. And uh, they didn't ask me to do this, but this is certainly one, you know, filling out the ECC missions commitment for 2018 and support the missions that this church is involved in. You have been partners with me in doing what I am doing not only because of your giving, I featured the missions prayer group here because I can't do what I'm doing without partnering with others who form a part of the team. I know that firsthand. And so I do my part. The participants do their part. You are doing your part. And so that's the way that God tends to meet these needs that are overwhelming. But maybe there's one new thing or one additional thing that you can do as you go forth after these three weeks of focusing on 
the stranger, the poor, and the imprisoned. I think that's all I want to say because I'm out of time. Uh, there's a few other things that I wanted to say. Um, you men, come tonight and maybe I'll say them at Juanita's, you know, uh, between mouthfuls of chips and salsa. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, we do recognize that you are concerned about the alien, the foreigner, the stranger the immigrant. You are concerned about the poor, the exploited, the oppressed, those taken advantage of. You are concerned about those who are imprisoned. And yet, we're grateful that you can set us free because of what Jesus has done. I thank you for that, and I thank you for a church like this that is engaged in the kinds of things that Jesus was talking about when he opened that scroll and says, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Would you continue to bless ECC as they are involved in not only giving and praying, but maybe even uh, adding a new activity or a new ministry to support that is in line with meeting the needs of the stranger and the poor and the imprisoned. We thank you for this time together, for the truths of your word, and the opportunity that we have to study, to learn. And I thank you for these men and women who are incarcerated, who have come to know you, who have grown in their walk with you, who have influenced their kids and grandkids and others. And I thank you for the partnership that this church has had with me as we have engaged in these prisons in Colorado and Minnesota and Chicago and Philadelphia and Louisiana and Texas and California and Illinois and especially here in the 14 prisons here in Indiana. We give you thanks, Lord, for who you are and your concerns that you have placed upon our heart during these last three weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.